We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Support for this podcast comes from U.S. Bank. When it's time for a new credit card, the best ones do way more than just buy stuff. And that's why U.S. Bank offers credit cards that make every day more rewarding. Earn cash back. Score points when you shop, dine out, travel, or binge watch. Or get a low intro APR. U.S. Bank credit cards were designed to fit your lifestyle. So make every day more rewarding. And check out usbank.com slash credit card. U.S. Bank credit cards are issued by U.S. Bank National Association N.D. Some restrictions may apply. Member FDIC. Hey, it's Flo, and this is my impression of a play-by-play announcer who loves to save money. And here at Progressive, it's discounts all day. The customer's a safe driver and mails over the discount. Signed up for paperless billing, and it's a discount from downtown. Insuring multiple vehicles, and kablam, shakalaka, fadeaway, cross-court, coast-to-coast, discount mania! Whew, should we go to commercial? Wait, this is a commercial. With all kinds of discounts, Progressive helps you save. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company. Discounts not available in all states or situations. Welcome to the Rotowire Fantasy Football Podcast, brought to you by DraftKings.com, the leader in daily fantasy sports. Use the promo code Rotowire when you make your deposit for a free contest entry today. Derek Van Riper, joined today by DJ Trainer. You can find DJ on Twitter at T Rain or DJ um, Train or DJ, like however you want to break it down. I just want people to spell it correctly: T R A I N O R D J. Yeah, I feel like you obsess with my Twitter handle more so than anybody else's Twitter handle. I appreciate you phonetically breaking it down for people. 
if it you know if it relates to more Twitter followers, then I, I guess I should only thank you for that. As your unofficial agent, I'm just trying to come up with like a mnemonic device or something that gets people to get it right the first time. It's easier than explaining Wayland's Twitter handle. His is the worst. No one ever understands what you're talking about. I I always make him say it. You know, we do lots of basketball podcasts together, and I, you know, I'll say mine. I'll say, and Wayland's Twitter handle is, and I just pause and wait for him to sheepishly chime in with it. Yeah, Waylon, I think I think what he's realizing with his Twitter handle, it's probably the same regret that people feel when they, they have make an email address that's not a professional email address and then they put it on their resume and you know, I mean we experienced this with you. It's not not because it was an unprofessional decision, but you had an old email address that you carried over and it was something like it was like BA tennis stud, right? Like you can't put that on a resume, but at the same time you can use that for your internal emails when you're an intern or when you're a part-timer sure. somewhere, it's okay. But then, you know, when you, when you move to full-time status, you have to upgrade that. Yeah, no, you're completely right. I know we've got some crispies out there. We have some cheese curds, I believe. And so Whoa. I've used I've used a cheese curd email address in the past, but mm-hmm. it was my formidable years in middle school. Right. I mean, the cheese curd one makes sense. And uh, crispy, of course, shout out to Chris Benzine, uh, one of our favorite guys in the office, probably at the lanes bowling right now. It's <laughs> 2.35 Central here on a Friday, so I assume he's uh, he's crushing pins somewhere. Uh, but we got we got some... Weird topics today. You got, you got another one right here. What do, you, what do you got? Oh, I just want to talk more crap about Waylon. I think it's oh, yeah, one of a good our time favorite to do it. things to do. So Yeah, I mean, Waylon's jacket was a, a source of, of scrutiny for him for a long time. Um, I, I Look, it, it just looks like a lady's jacket because the hood is covered in fur. I, I don't... I, it's not even real fur. It's you know, it's the fake stuff. So it wasn't like Waylon went in the woods, killed something, and had the taxidermist make a jacket out of it or something. like That, that didn't happen. I can confirm he's not an Eskimo, and so there's really no reason for him to be wearing fur on jacket. Madison is cold, but it's not that cold. Right. It, it, the cold is, it's been this year has been 20, 25. It's not even, not even that bad, but he's got the fur out already. Let's dive into this Thursday night game. It was the ketchup and mustard condiment bowl, as many people called it, with the all red and all yellow uniforms for the Bucks and the Rams. This one actually... Could have been worse in terms of the final score. 31-23 Rams was the final. Uh, St. Louis had a pretty good night overall offensively, thanks in large part to Tavon Austin. Two TDs for Austin, four carries for 32 yards, three catches for 41 yards. I like that they're finally using him as a bigger part of their offense, but I have to wonder if what we've seen from him this year, and he's been kind of like a top 20, top 25 receiver overall throughout the season, that's probably about as good as it can get because I don't really know if there's ever going to be a time in which he has a greater share of the touches in the St. Louis offense. Think about the way it is now. Todd Gurley's not going anywhere. And if they were to add a legitimate number one receiver, that's going to ensure that the targets Austin is seeing this year really aren't going to go up that much. Yeah, that's definitely the case. I mean, this is his third year in the league. I know I've drafted him like his first and second year in the league, and I was wrong. Third year, he's coming around. Uh, an incredibly underrated part of his game that helps him get you know maybe four or five points a week is is he carries the ball out of the backfield. He does a lot of end arounds, and so even though they have Gurley back there, he's touching the balls in a lot of different ways. And I mean, it's. I don't know. Are, is he somebody whose value is obviously going to rise going into next season, but is someone you're going to touch, or are you going to let people overvalue him heading into next year? Because his value definitely will be on the rise. Well, if you look at players whose value changes the most in non-PPR versus PPR, for Tavon Austin, he's a lot more valuable when you're not getting PPR. Like That's the big 
shift there. He might be the player who changes the most even. Uh, Austin, along with like running backs like Blunt, uh, Jonathan Stewart doesn't catch many passes, Jeremy Hill doesn't catch many passes. Guys like that tend to gain the most when you make the move from PPR to non-PPR. So I think it depends on league context. I mean, he was an afterthought in drafts this year, maybe an endgame pick in some leagues, mostly leagues populated by Rams fans. But even then, I think he was an early season pickup rather than somebody that was targeted by owners as a possible sleeper. So it's been a, it's been a productive year for him overall. Kenny Britt scored in this one because why wouldn't he? It's the fantasy playoffs. Two catches, 71 yards, just two targets. Jared Cook, four for 64 on six targets. Gurley had a total of 79 yards from scrimmage, 21 carries, 48 yards on the ground. Nice job by the Bucks' run defense in this one, really keeping him in check. 2.3 yards per carry and a long of nine yards, but he did find the end zone. That ultimately kind of pushed him towards a normal, even slightly above average performance overall. Without that TD, Todd Gurley owners would have been high and dry in this one. Yeah, most definitely. He's pretty much a plug-and-play for the rest of the season. You're still going to roll with him. Um, is he a top-10 player heading into next year? I know I'm, I don't know why I'm harping on next year so much, and maybe it's because I'm out of the playoffs in half of my leagues. But, I, I mean, I think we're at a point where he could be top-10 next year, right? Like essentially, he'll replace Eddie Lacy, I guess you could say. I think that, yeah, there could be leagues where Todd Gurley goes first overall. I mean, he's, sure. he's hit something of a wall in the second half of the season, but his overall body of work as a rookie – Includes 4.9 yards per carry. He's over 1,000 yards already, and he missed a few games to start the year. Nine TDs on the ground. I'd like to see him do a little more as a pass catcher, but even with his current limitations in that offense, he's caught 20 balls already this year. So he's not a complete zero in the passing game. Maybe there's room for improvement. He could have a full 330, 340 carry type season next year, and there's only a handful of backs in the league anymore who even have a chance at getting the extreme volume. But the Rams' offense... Even if they get a new quarterback, which they should, maybe it's Connor Cook, maybe they find a way to get someone's backup and that turns out to be an upgrade for them, that offense is probably going to be run first as long as he is a part of that roster. Yeah, funny story about Gurley. I, I bought a car from a dealer and the, the dealer I was working with, this guy, it was on a Sunday and it just came out that I was I worked for Rotowire and he was checking his scores constantly. I was like, it's okay, bring him up. I'm all about that. In fact, you know, look here, we do the notes for that. And then he, he pulled out who he had drafted coming into this season and he took Gurley third over or third, his third pick and which was a terrible dumb decision. And if you run it back, actually, it's not a bad pick at all. But like such a dumb pick, I couldn't believe he picked Gurley third overall. Yeah, or, shout no, out third, third, third round. Yeah, yeah, third round. Shout out to uh, Johnny McKechnie, who hosts the College Football Podcast with Mario, who's sick today, of course. It's part of the reason uh, why DJ is subbing in. Um, James Anderson, Mario, and, and John, they host that, that pod together. College Football Pod comes out once a week. Season's ending for college football, so you have to catch it in 2016. Uh, but I was sitting, I think, either next to him, or I was in the same league as he was for the Vegas League. And he took Todd Gurley in the third round. I just remember laughing really? about it for like the next three days. I'm like, what was he thinking? I mean, he's a Georgia guy. He went to the University of Georgia. Uh, Johnny Lunes, you know, he, he doesn't he doesn't march to the beat of anyone else's drum. So I, I respect that about him. But I just thought like he could have waited a round or two and then still got Gurley because this was back during the All Star break. This was way before there was any indication that Gurley might be ahead of schedule. This was back in mid July. And that's turned out to be a great pick. I don't think he made the playoffs because of some other missteps. But if you reached for Todd Gurley, that didn't even hurt you this year as a fantasy owner because he's been just that good since coming back from that torn ACL. So I think he's like a top three, top five pick in the overwhelming majority of leagues. Goes first round 
everywhere next year. Looking at our rankings right now, our colleague Chris Liss has Todd Gurley at number two overall behind only Odell Beckham in his current rankings. I think that's fair. I, I, I almost want to say I feel more confident about Gurley coming into next season than I did about Lacey coming into this season, if that makes sense. Because, I mean, well, obviously hindsight's twenty twenty, and I sound like a genius now. But um, I don't know. Lacey's been great, but you might as well air it out with Aaron Rodgers when given the opportunity. As running back prospects go, they're, I mean, they're so different. Gurley is the once every five to ten years type back. Lacey's just the big physical plotter that comes to the league time and time again and maybe the difference to Lacey is that coming out of Alabama he had a little more speed than the typical big man but I think now he's kind of regressed into his natural NFL playing weight and with that you get the physical ability but you don't have any of that big play upside I wonder it makes me wonder about Derrick Henry like Derrick Henry doesn't look like he has the same body type as Lacey I think he's a little taller that certainly helps too I think Derrick Henry is going to be a really good NFL player but I wonder if, if any teams out there or fantasy owners out there might be a little gun-shy because of the way Lacey's career has progressed. Well, Lacey, Trent Richardson, I'll even throw Mark Ingram into that. Mark Ingram has been good, but not as good as we thought he would have been. You know what, DVR, the thing that I harp on with Alabama running backs is not that they're all bust just because they went to Alabama. It's because their offensive line in Alabama is so good that, you know, mediocre guys or just above average guys are going to look amazing. And so maybe that's one thing that you could point at for this common denominator with Alabama guys. But like you said, I'll, I'll still give Derrick Henry a world next year. Henry, to me, just looks a little different than the other guys, even though it, it is very similar for the reasons you mentioned with basically NFL caliber talent around him at every other offensive position. They have an advantage pretty much any time they step out onto the field, even in the SEC, and that's what makes those players look so good. Comparatively speaking, I mean, that's the knock on Wisconsin running backs, not because they have NFL talent at receiver and tight end all the time, although tight end's been a position they've developed really well. It's the offensive line that's, that's led guys like Melvin Gordon, James White, uh, of course, Monte Ball, you know, prior to that, of course, Michael Bennett and Ron Dane going all the way back to the 90s. But you, you had these backs that would come out of this system who could generate tons of production because the offensive linemen blocking for them were mostly NFL players. And I think you have to do you have to grade uh, talent based on actual physical attributes and like appropriately adjust for team context. I think that's the important thing to keep in mind when it comes to uh, looking at running backs like that. But I, I think Gurley, I, the only thing I'm worried about with Gurley is that if they don't upgrade their quarterback position in a significant way, Teams can load up the box against the Rams. He's going to have those duds like we saw. I mean, last night without that TV, again, it would have been a pretty big dud for Todd Gurley. So they're very one-dimensional right now. But then again, he might be more like an Adrian Peterson type back where it just doesn't matter. Well, that's what I've been so surprised about is that I think teams are somewhat loading the box already, and he's just been able to do amazing things. And that's one of the more reasons why I feel more confident about him coming into next season than I did about Lacey coming into this year. And so I, I would roll with him. I'd roll with him in the first two picks. I think him or ODP, I would probably go, I'd probably go Gurley. I think there's a lot more upset. I think he can only improve with maybe better players, better offensive system, better quarterback. I think he can only get better from what he's done so far this season. I think when you look at the other running backs too, there are plenty of questions about roles once you get past the first couple. You know, get past Gurley, get past AP, Le'Veon Bell should be pretty healthy, you know, close to the beginning of the season, maybe a few weeks after. 
beyond that, you just don't know how a lot of these guys are going to be used with respect to the other players in their offense or even within their own backfield. And I think that's where getting Gurley early and then coming back rounds two and three going receiver-receiver might be a viable strategy if you do draw that first overall pick in 2016. But looking at this game last night from an offensive perspective through the air, Case Keenum 14 for 17, 234 yards, two touchdowns. Jameis Winston was 29 of 50 for 363 two TDs and a pick that Austin Safarian Jenkins TD late got a pretty favorable reaction in my Twitter feed it's a lot of people who were hoping he'd have a big game that he scored was probably good enough for a lot of people who were just hoping to get something good from their tight end spot this week Mike Evans really led the way for the Bucks nine catches 157 yards on 17 targets he did not find the end zone Doug Martin at 18 carries for 91 yards I mean Jameis has played well enough to keep the Bucks in the mix for a playoff spot throughout the year but at six and eight now I think they're really going to be kind of pressed to get in eight and eight's probably not going to be good enough to get that last wild card in the NFC they play the Bears next that probably should be a hotly contested game 50 50 I'll go ahead and throw it up Um, but then they play the Panthers I'll just say that's a loss I mean I don't know why unless they decide to rest Cam or something like that otherwise the Panthers are going to beat the Bucks, and so I mean they do have a lot to play for I think Winston has maybe outperformed what I personally thought he would do although it helps when you have guys like Mike Evans or Austin Safarian Jenkins who I wasn't terribly high on but obviously I was I was pretty wrong he's another guy that next year um, he'll get a lot of looks for tight ends especially when I think overall it's been a down tight end year maybe I'm just overrating years past but um, Austin Safarian Jenkins if he goes out and has 50 yards and a touchdown that puts him like in the top 10 for tight ends if if we can rely on him for that next season yeah I think the way they've used Cameron Brate in particular when Austin Safarian Jenkins has been hurt bodes well for the chances of Safarian Jenkins getting a lot of red zone targets next year assuming that he's completely healthy anything else in this game really stand out to you I mean it could have been again could have been a lot worse there was one point which the Rams led this game 28-6. to The Bucks actually made it sort of interesting in the fourth quarter, just couldn't quite pull off the comeback. I mean, Charles Sims got seven carries for 50 yards on a night when Doug Martin was really effective. I mean, Sims ran it well, mostly because he had a 35-yard carry mixed in there, but Doug Martin, for some reason in the fourth quarter, was losing out on snaps. Yeah, and you know what? When you look at the projections, regardless of what league you're playing in, Sims, for a backup guy who's backing up, Right now, I guess the NFL leading rusher, believe it or not, he's projected pretty high. And so if you're in some really deep leagues, he's going to give you some value. Uh, Like five points in deeper leagues is really not that bad for a backup running back at all. Um, So is it more of a case? I guess it's more of a case where... Um, maybe just rest Martin. I don't. I don't really understand that at all. You're right. 18 carries. It's for Doug Martin. He definitely could have handled more. Double that even, right? Yeah, it seems like he could push 25 to 30 pretty easily and and not wear down all that much. But the Bucks instead opting to use a little more Charles Sims and a little bit of Bobby Rainey too in the fourth quarter last night. Let's move on to some of the key injuries here for Week 15. Uh, Tyler Eifert has been officially ruled out to play against San Francisco. He is dealing with the symptoms of a concussion. So given the Bengals' current positioning with respect to making the playoffs, I wouldn't be surprised if this takes more than one week for him to recover from. Had the neck issue previously, too, so we'll have to see how he progresses in the coming days. A tough schedule next week for the Bengals, of course, going on the road to Denver. So really tough matchup anyway if Eifert's able to return for that one. Taking a look here at some other key injuries, though. Greg Olson, who it looked like was going to be down with what could have been a pretty serious knee injury when he left Sunday's game, 
uh, that big win over Atlanta, he's listed as probable. He was able to do a lot of work and practice over the course of the week. I- I'm surprised. I mean, this is a team that really relies pretty heavily on him because they don't have that true number one wideout, especially without Kelvin Benjamin. But he missed Wednesday's practice, limited Thursday, and was a full participant on Friday. So it really looks like there's no reason to worry about Greg Olson this week. Yeah, for fantasy, but if I'm, you know, if I'm Rivera, I'm saying just rest him. They're going to lock up the one seed. The only people who think that they can go undefeated and make it to the Super Bowl are them. Like, literally, no one else thinks that, and no one else even thinks that they should be going for that. I mean, if the Patriots were 13 and 0 right now, that's all you'd hear about anywhere. But since it's the Panthers, it's like, rest Olsen, don't go for it. This might be the only team in history that we've ever said, don't go for a completely undefeated season. But I don't think it makes sense to play Olsen from a football perspective. But for fantasy, you got to run him out there. I mean, I think on a leg and a half, he's going to be, like I said, the tight ends, I think, are down. He's been one of the best this season. So you're still rolling with him if he's active. Yeah, I think it's it's been... A great year for Olsen for a lot of reasons. Big plays are a big part of it. He's got 19 catches this season out of 65 receptions that have gone for 20 or more yards. He's never had more than 12 in a season previously. So the big playability of that Carolina offense, it's not just Ted Ginn. Olsen's kind of getting in on the fun as well. Well, how many times have we seen Ted Ginn streak for a long pass? Most of the time he drops it. But what you do is you, you kind of lift the top off the defense. Olsen sneaks in there in the soft coverage, and that's and that's what we're dealing with. So Cam can air it out, and then he can also sneak one into Olsen. It's it's really good play calling, and it's it's worked out good if you, if you have shares in Olsen. So a few other tight end notes I want to get to. We'll just keep these by position, too, since we're going to look at the DraftKings pool by position here in just a few minutes. Charles Clay has been ruled out for Sunday's game against Washington. He's dealing with a back injury. Chris Gregg is going to back up. Uh, Clay, so he'll be the guy getting the looks at tight end for the Bills this week. Could just mean extra targets for their receivers. Rob Gronkowski missed practice Friday due to a personal issue. It's not going to affect his Week 15 availability. He fully practiced on Thursday, which I I was surprised to see Gronkowski play as much as he did Sunday night. That game was out of hand in the fourth quarter, and he was still out there running routes. It's amazing. He, but that's always been the case for Gronkowski. That's one of the reasons why he's so incredibly reliable for daily, for season long, for anything, is that even when they blow out, he's, I don't know why, but Bilicic plays him in the fourth quarter. And if he's going to play him on like a bum knee or bum bruise or whatever he's dealing with, I forget what it is. It's like a bruised knee, essentially, is what it came out to be, right? It looked like a torn ACL when it first happened. Um, but yeah, you roll him out. Another one of those guys for fantasy, it makes perfect sense. Football-wise, it doesn't at all, but uh, use it if you got him. A couple other tight end notes to pass along. Zach Miller listed as questionable for Sunday's game against the Vikings. He has been slowed with an illness, but he should be okay to play against the Vikings. Five catches, 85 yards, and a touchdown against Washington in Week 14 with Martellus Bennett down. Seems like Miller has kind of made himself a significant part of that Chicago offense. I mean, the Bears really lack a number two receiver right now, so that's probably a big part of it. Jacob Tammy's got a back injury. He is probable to play against Jacksonville. He's been so inconsistent. I don't really know if you want to rely on him in season long or on DraftKings for that matter. Uh, Heath Miller has got a rib injury. He is probable for Sunday's game against the Broncos, similar to the Tammy situation where the offense is good. You just don't really know what to expect role-wise for Heath Miller on a week-to-week basis. Yeah, most definitely. You got Brown, Bryant, Wheaton, Hayward Bay even. And so Miller is maybe in PPR or something like that. He he makes more sense. Um, what's funny is that he's still probably like a middle-of-the-pack tight end, even though he's not incredibly reliable. 
Yeah, that's true. I mean, like there are some weeks where he finishes sixth or seventh in fantasy points among tight ends, and then other weeks where he just disappears. Which so. doesn't mean much. I mean, six to seven points will get you in the top ten some weeks. Right. Yeah, some weeks tight ends just don't really go off as a whole, and he kind of benefits from those weeks. Ladarius Green, questionable for Sunday's game against the Dolphins for me. His availability doesn't matter much as long as Antonio Gates is healthy. But the Chargers are banged up at receiver. Uh, Stevie Johnson didn't practice Friday. He's doubtful, so I wouldn't expect to see him play against the Dolphins. They will have Dontrell Inman out there. Inman was slowed by a neck injury earlier this week, but he is probable to play against the Dolphins. So maybe you see a few more two tight end sets from that San Diego offense. Uh, Torrey Smith was back at practice Friday. If you're relying on Torrey Smith in Week 15, well, I've, I've got bad news for you. It's probably not going to work out. Uh, Robert Woods, slowed by a hip injury. He's probable for that game in Washington. Like, he's one of those guys that could see extra targets, uh, as I mentioned with Charles Clay down, because I don't think Chris Gregg is going to be a 6-8 to eight target guy for the Bills. So maybe Robert Woods gets some deep league consideration. Jarvis Landry is probable. He's been dealing with a knee injury. He should be fine to play against the Chargers. Uh, Deshaun Jackson, also probable to play against the Bills. He's got a knee injury. Doesn't look like anything serious there. Really not a, a terrible week in terms of, of injuries overall. Dante Moncrief is questionable with a toe injury, so we could see a lot more Philip Dorsett if, in fact, Moncrief can't play against the Texans. But it looks like Kelvin Johnson's good to go this week, DJ. He returned to practice on Friday. He's been slowed by an ankle injury. Uh, Alshon Jeffrey was back at practice Friday. He's listed as questionable, but it just seems like he's fine. An illness is going around the Bears locker room, it appears, because not only does, does Zach Miller have it, but Alshon Jeffrey has an illness there along with a calf injury. Uh, Alan Hearns is probable. He missed some time earlier in the week with a thigh injury, but it's business as usual. It seems like Alan Hearns misses a practice or two pretty much every week and then finds a way to score on somewhat limited volume on Sunday. He's the best. I love him. He's been such a surprise for me this year. I still think he's somewhat underrated um, completely, considering that he went on a streak of, uh, I don't want to count it out, you know, what was it, eight games? Seven, I think seven or seven eight, yeah. Seven games with a touchdown, and a lot of those, um, you know, he had 100 yards or 50 yards even. 50 yards and a touchdown is, is incredibly valuable. I know, like, I, I had a league, or well, it was Vegas League. It's the other half of the Vegas League from you and John McKechnie, um, where I picked Jordy. Like you said, it was during training camp of baseball. Or not training camp, but the All-Star game of baseball. I picked Jordy, but I ended up getting Alan Hearns, and essentially he's filled in just nicely. I'm in the Final Four for that league, and it's, it's all because of Hearns and then Robinson is just one tick even better in terms of not only uh, like big breakout games but even reliability he's right there the same Blake Bortles is spreading the ball around to those guys pretty nicely I just keep fearing this massive crash from Alan Hearns because it's so many long TDs I mean his yards per target number is off the charts it's like 10.1 I think a lot of long catches even the one this past week it was like an 80 yard touchdown where Someone missed a tackle, and he just beat everybody down the sideline. The speed's legit. He's, he's a talented player. I just I worry about him on a week-to-week basis because I, I know there's going to be the, the game, and he had a couple of them just a few weeks ago where he gets five or six targets, catches like three balls for 40 yards, and I'm just hoping that it's week 17 and not weeks 15 and 16. Fair enough. So there's four games where he had four targets, and that, that that's his season low. He had 68 yards, 70 yards, and a touchdown, 105 and a touchdown. And then his worst week, arguably, was not that long ago where he only had 19 yards. But even on his lowest targeted days, he's still incredibly serviceable. It defies 
you know, anything like research, whatever you want to put into it. And I've just come to the point where I just lock them in and I play them and I don't worry about how it happens. It just does. Yeah. Just, just score. That's the key for, for Alan Hearns moving to the running back position. His teammate TJ Yeldon doubtful for Sunday's game against the Falcons. The brunt of the, the bad injuries this week seem to be at running back. Denard Robinson is on track to get the start in Yeldon's place. We'll talk about Robinson here uh, in just a few minutes. Once we go position by position for our DraftKings lineups, uh, the other, injury of course Jonathan Stewart not going to play for the Panthers so we're going to see more Mike Tolbert we're going to see more Fozzie Whitaker and we're probably going to see some Cameron Artis Payne almost for the first time this year he's appeared in four games this year but really has had a hard time finding his way onto the field at this point so the, the Carolina running back situation looks like such a mess that I don't necessarily want to even roll the dice on one of their cheap options if, if you're desperate Whitaker is probably the best way to go yeah, I agree with you. I think Cameron Artis Payne is someone that Mario really likes about. So hopefully on this exact podcast, he's been able to talk about him. I don't necessarily – I'm not going to touch it. I really haven't touched anybody but Greg Olson in this um, Panthers offense and obviously Cam Newton. So I don't I don't see any upside to, to messing around and trying to pick who's going to see the most touches or the most yards out of the backfield. I like the talent of Cameron Artis Payne, but the usage pattern this year to me says they don't have a lot of confidence in him just yet. We'll see if that changes, though. I mean, they could have a couple games where they're just sitting with that number one seed. Week 17, perhaps, he gets a start or something like that. If, if you're playing through Week 17, he's still out there on the waiver wire. Maybe you just pick him up as a speculative ad, depending on who you have to drop to make it happen. D'Angelo Williams slowed by an illness earlier this week. He mispracticed Thursday, but is back as a limited participant on Friday. He is probable to play against the Broncos, so it seems like he is going to be just fine. Lamar Miller, also probable. Miller has an ankle injury, which is very suspicious because he was running really well against the Giants on Monday night, disappeared in the second half, uh, was asked about it at the game, said he was healthy. Dan Campbell came out and said, no, he's got an ankle injury, which I think may have been Dan Campbell's way of covering up for the otherwise inexplicable uh, lack of activity for Lamar Miller. Well, he had two touchdowns in 89 yards on only 12 attempts. So obviously he was running along just fine, like you said, DVR. Um, I'd run him out this week. He's been, you know, his last two weeks have been pretty solid. Um, going up against San Diego, though, I think you're really trying to play as many running backs as you can whenever you're facing San Diego. So Lamar Miller, of course, fits that mold just fine as well. Two quarterback injuries to pass along. Uh, one is Matt Hasselbeck, who took an absolute beating last week. He was out there for Friday's practice and is listed as probable to play against the Texans on Sunday. Uh, Tom Brady actually missed practice Friday because of an illness, so it seems like a few locker rooms around the league are dealing with an illness. I mean, we've got one going around the Roto locker room right now, too. So That's why I'm here. That's why you're here, and, and Mario is somewhere at home resting. Maybe you got the, the Vicks Vapor Rub or, or something going on. I don't know. Whatever, whatever you do to make yourself feel better. Everybody's different. Some people just... Some people like to pop the pills, right? They like to get the, like the NyQuil pills or something and just kind of doze off. I try to sleep it off. Anytime I'm sick, I just try to sleep as much as possible and just get past it because I think that's the fastest way to recover. I think I'm in the far minority on this one. I try to sweat it out. I go for a run <laughs> or go work out. And you can laugh if you want to, but I think sweating helps you get rid of those, whatever you're dealing with. Um, you know, it Obviously, if you just don't feel well enough, you can't do it. But I, I think it works for me every now and then. If it's just like a middling cold, it's not like a major, you know, like I'm sleeping all day thing. I th- I think sweating works works quite well. I can't even imagine trying to lift on a day where I feel really bad. Sometimes you get those like flu like aches or whatever, and you just can't 
no can't function like no lifting all elliptical all yeah, treadmill just, just cardio just, yeah just, don't mess around because you don't want to faint with you know a hundred pounds on your back or a couple hundred pounds on your back no you you definitely uh, <laughs> do not we've partnered with our friends at DraftKings to run an exclusive rotowire fantasy football contest the final four weeks of the football season Rotowire podcast listeners can participate against each other and us as hosts to earn a seat at the Rotowire Fantasy Football Championship in Week 17. The Week 15 qualifier is now live. It's just $5 to enter. The winner takes home 100 bucks and a seat in the Week 17 Championship. Join in the fun now. Sign up at rotowire.com slash DraftKings. That's rotowire.com slash DraftKings. So you got that contest at 5 bucks. You've also got the Millionaire Maker, the last one of the year, DJ. It's back up to $20 this week, one uh, one week at $3 a week ago. I, I only put in a few lineups, and then I went back on Sunday to get more, and they had actually sold out. So um, I'm kind of glad it's back up to 20 if only because it gives me more time to build my lineups. But it would have been a bad week for me anyway. The three lineups I had all had Thomas Rawls in them. So as soon as he left yeah. that game in the first quarter, I was pretty much done by about one thirty central last week. Well, I can do you one better, DVR. I saw that the Millie Maker was going to be $3, and I bought like five entries right away on like a Wednesday, and I had a late night on Saturday, never woke up in time to enter any lineups. So to everyone who played the Millie Maker in cash, you're welcome. There were five dead lineups <laughs> at the very end of what well, – it was an amazing entry. How were there like 700,000 entries? Yeah, there's a lot of entries just to change up the way that the money was flowing in there, but a lot of fun to have that variation with multiple entries for the millionaire maker more entries than usual at least cutting them up that way what was your uh, downfall on, on saturday night last week what caused you to be so exhausted sunday that you didn't wake up in time for kickoff um you know just the good we live whiskey whisk- no it's just it was just beer and then the problem was i never set an alarm clock and so the well i did have one and it went off at eight and so eight is like a false sense of oh you have lots of time to to snooze it you'll you'll wake up on your own and then of course when i do wake up it's it's 1205 which is just like a just like the perfect time to think like, oh, man, I was so close. So I, close. I missed so many things. I missed all my season-long lineups. If someone's a late scratch, you're, you're just toast. It's over. And of course, and of course, I would have won the million dollars last week, too. You know what I mean? And so that's what I've been thinking about all week long. And so once again, everyone out there is, is very welcome. Um, you know, send your thank you letters to Trainer, at Trainer DJ. At Train or DJ. Yeah, I think you probably were dreaming about Cam Newton and Ted Ginn just going off. I'm, I'm sure that was a big part of, of what you were thinking about doing had you woke up on time. Uh, looking at the line of the, the pool for this week, looking at the quarterbacks first, Tom Brady, 7,800, most expensive quarterback on the board, along with Cam Newton. you got Rodgers at 7,400. Rodgers is on the road against Oakland. The Oakland defense looked pretty fierce, especially in the second half of their game against Denver on Sunday. Carson Palmer, 7,000. Russell Wilson, 7,000. Palmer gets the Eagles in Philly. Russell Wilson gets the Browns at home in a week in which uh, Mike Pettin kind of placed him outside of the league's elite quarterbacks, although I don't think anyone's really worried about Mike Pettin's rankings overall. Uh, any of these $7,000 quarterbacks of interest to you? Well, I should, full disclosure, I never usually buy up unless I find like a really good wide receiver I believe in that week. 
I almost always go down to, you know, like the maybe the middle tier or the actual bottom third because quarterback is a position where you could have a guy like Jameis Winston break out and be a top five quarterback, and then you have so much salary relief. If I'm looking at Rodgers, I think Rodgers is incredibly overvalued at $7,400. It's, it's mostly name recognition there. I, I don't know why he's at $7,400. He hasn't had breakout games. He's not consistent. Um, but if I had to pick one $7,000 quarterback, I think I'd roll with Russell Wilson. Going up against Cleveland, he can run all over places. He's throwing it all over since Jimmy Graham has been out. He's been amazing. It's it's amazing what Jimmy Graham's absence has actually done for their offense. Yeah, I, I think if I'm going to pay up for one of those top five, it's either Russell Wilson, maybe it's Cam. I mean, Cam at 7800 he's expensive, but at the same time, he's been a pretty good investment every single week. And I can see that Giants offense being good enough to move the ball against Carolina. I'm really curious to see how Beckham versus Josh Norman plays out, especially if the Giants are going to run Beckham out of the slot more often. That's been one of the things that's made... Norman a a bit more vulnerable is when you actually make him defend more in the middle of the field as opposed to having a sideline to work with. I'm trying to think, can he win defensive player of the year or defensive MP? What is the official title? I can't even remember. Can he beat Watt and beat, is it McDonald from the Rams who's been having a fantastic year as well? Yeah, he probably I mean, on an undefeated team, right? That's a definition of MVP or depending on what your definition is. I mean, the winningest team, best defensive player on the winningest team is one way to look at it. Yeah, I mean, I think he's going to get a lot of consideration for that award. It's well-deserved. He's been maybe the best corner in the league all year, at least for most of the season. He's been the best corner in the league. Uh, So I'm I'm really curious to see what he does this week against uh, Odell Beckham. But, of course, next week he gets another crack at Julio Jones, too. I want to see if he can keep him quiet. Uh, relatively quiet, at least for the second straight week. Uh, but I, I just I think that game between the Panthers and the Giants could be really high scoring. If you want to go the other direction, Eli Manning is only fifty six hundred, but Carolina's defense they, they they bend sometimes, and that's what makes them worth taking a chance on going against at the twenty dollar price point for a millie maker entry. I don't know if I'm necessarily going to put the eggs in the Eli basket so to speak. I think that the best value for me overall on the quarterback board, at least looking at the top half of guys, it's Drew Brees at 6,600. He's home against the Lions, plays a lot better at home than on the road. Of course, with Brees, you got to consider that seven TD game he had against the Giants that really skewed the home road splits a bit this year. But that's a trend that's held up for several seasons. That Saints offense just seems to function a lot better indoors. It'll be a Monday night game. Crowd's going to be a very ruckus crowd. Brandon Cook seems like he's come on a bit in recent weeks. I just feel pretty good about Breeze at that price, especially compared to some of those top options. What about Matthew Stafford? Like, I'm not going to disagree with you. I, I agree that Drew Breeze, $6,600 going up to the Lions, who are a bottom third defense, passing defense. But I saw a stat a few weeks ago, and I'm sorry for not having it pulled up now, that the opposing quarterback against the Saints had better averages than Tom Brady did this year. And so Matthew Stafford is someone who can sling it around. He's got options. He's got Ebron at the tight end. He's got Calvin Johnson, who looks like, I guess, technically he's questionable, but could play, just like you said, DVR. Um, I'm rolling Stafford out in all of my lineups. I'm just going to kind of go with that notion that New Orleans has been terrible in the past game. But I think, you know, maybe we see another shootout like we saw Breeze against Eli Manning. I think having a healthier Kelvin Johnson makes that a lot safer at 6,100. So I, I'm not going to fight that at all. I think that's a good call, too. If you want to save a little money at quarterback, go with Kelvin Johnson. I think that's definitely an option. Uh, Matt Ryan at 5,700 is of some interest, but he's been so bad, even against Jacksonville. I don't know if you really want to go 
that direction unless you're really trying to get away from higher owned quarterbacks. Uh, moving down a bit further, I mean, A.J. McCarron is starting this week for Andy Dalton. San Francisco's defense is pretty bad. I just feel like the Bengals are going to run it like crazy against that soft San Francisco run defense. Yep. And so to that point, I'm using Giovanni Bernard. We'll get to the running backs, but I don't know why you would let A.J. McCarron fling it around when you've got two reliable running backs. And I I believe San Francisco is one of the bottom two teams in rushing yards allowed this season. So, I mean, for McCarron to pass it more than 15 or 16 times in this game doesn't make any sense. In all honesty, 15, 16 times, I think max. From the cheaper end, going below McCarron even, Jay Cutler against Minnesota is not bad at 5,300. Not necessarily sure I'd build a lineup around him, but I I don't oppose that. Uh, Kirk Cousins, home against Buffalo, 5,200. I I could imagine low ownership there just because people don't get all that riled up about him. But Washington at home versus Washington on the road, big difference. Bill's defense, maybe not quite as good as we thought they'd be under Rex Ryan this year. Teddy Bridgewater gets the Bears at home, 5,100. Good price, but he's averaging just 13.1 fantasy points per game on DraftKings this season, so I'm probably not going to go there. You don't want Johnny Manziel on the road against Seattle. He's 5,100 this week. I mean, I, I, I like watching him play, and I think he gives the Browns the best chance to win when he's getting starting opportunities. But at the same time, Seattle's defense has just really been gradually rounding into form all season. Right, and so Johnny had, was it 22 points last week or a couple weeks ago? And if that's his high end, like you really need to hit on the rest of your players and something like the Millie Maker. We're really scrapping the bottom of the barrel where, you know, you need your quarterback to be getting that 25 to 30 point range for you to have a chance. Not even to, I mean, we always talk about winning the million, but even just making money in this competition or any tournament, it, it'll be incredibly hard to do with Manziel because I. He very well could get zero to five points in this game. Yeah, it could be a really tough day for the Browns offense as a whole on the road in Seattle. Moving on to the running backs, Devonta Freeman coming off a disappointing game last week. It's Jacksonville on the road. He's the most expensive back on the board at 7,500. Adrian Peterson at 7,100 is the only other back above the $7,000 price mark. Uh, you look down below them, you've got D'Angelo Williams at 6,600. Denver's not terribly tough against the run, so I, I could see Pittsburgh going with a very run-heavy game plan uh, and then trying to just pick their spots carefully in the passing game. But the thing I like about Pittsburgh matching up against Denver also is that you can go Antonio Brown versus Tlaib potentially. I think that's a tough matchup for Tlaib because he's such a, he's such a big physical corner and Brown's more of like an undersized, shifty receiver who's going to run more short and intermediate routes. I really don't know if that's a, a good spot for Talib to actually have a shutdown sort of game. And then beyond that, you still have Martavis Bryant on the other side who can just get behind DBs and make big plays. Yeah, Pittsburgh's going to pass it around on whatever defense they see. That's an interesting breakdown because Talib really is one of the best corners in the league. I don't know. I don't know. It's an interesting logic because you think maybe that Brown could get in a step and a half where Talib could just get in one because Talib is so lanky. I, I don't know. You're really breaking down, really breaking down height and weight there. I'm just thinking about how like a lot of shutdown corners do actually play pretty well against top wideouts, but Antonio Brown is unlike the other top wideouts because of his physical makeup. Like he's just, he's just got a different way that he approaches the game than say. Julio Jones or, or like the typical number one receiver you're going to put out there. 
Yeah, no, you're completely right. I think I, I'm giving you a little bit of crap for it, but I think it honestly is a good way to lean um, in that. If you're looking for a little added inspiration, Antonio Brown is going to get his no matter what, though. I mean, he's just that type of guy. He's $8,700 for reason, averaging 24 drafting points and against a defense, like you said. Denver does have the best pass-ranked defense, according to DraftKings at least. Um, but like I said, with Pittsburgh, they're, they're going to get it. They're just going to get after it. For the season, the Broncos have allowed... 1,316 yards to opposing receivers, by far the lowest total in the league. Just two touchdowns allowed to opposing receivers. So, I mean, there's crazy. definite reason to be gun-shy about Brown at that price because maybe it's a game sort of like the one he had against Richard Sherman a few weeks ago. The Steelers put up plenty of yards as a team, but it was going to guys like Wheaton and, and Bryant more so than Brown. So I just think he can kind of neutralize Tlaib and that gives a better matchup on the other side for Bryant. So as a team, I still like him to put up points. I just think the the interest for me would be more in Roethlisberger as an option at quarterback who's kind of contrarian and Martavis Bryant because he's cheaper than Brown at the receiver spot. Looking at what they've allowed, I think the best game for a receiver this season from that Denver defense allowed was Travis Benjamin, 117 yards, nine catches, 13 targets back in week six. I guess Mike Wallace technically had a better game, eight for 83 and a TD, some more fantasy points there. And Stephon Diggs in that game, six for 87 as well. So the Vikings somehow were moving it pretty effectively through the air uh, against Denver. Wouldn't have expected that. Marquise Wilson is the only other receiver of, there's three in total that have double digit fantasy points, non PPR against the Denver defense this year. So it's Marquise Wilson, Travis Benjamin, and Mike Wallace. That's it. No one else has done it. So I'm thinking that the quarterbacks then is the reason why. Like maybe they were just loading the box and say, you know what, beat us quarterback, inexperienced quarterback. So would you probably have Hoyer, Bridgewater, and then who you said Marquise Wilson? Yeah, Marquise Wilson. So that was either Cutler. I was trying to think which week that was. I think that was yeah. Cutler. That was okay. a Cutler week. And, yeah, you could say that. Cutler's not always going to beat you. So maybe that's the case, and uh, you could say the same thing. Well, you wouldn't say the same thing about this week, right, with Ben Roethlisberger. He's just as a capable quarterback as any. Yeah, I mean, he's 6,400, so he's quite a bit cheaper even than, like, Rodgers at 7,400. So that, that, that's where I think the appeal is. The price is such that it's adjusted because Denver's defense is so good. I just wonder if that offense is – full of weapons to the point where they actually can get better results than most teams. But that's just how tough it's been for receivers going up against the Broncos so far this year. Matt Forte is 6,500. I don't like that he shared carries with Jeremy Langford last week. Maybe it doesn't happen again this week. Minnesota's actually pretty good against the run, so I'm probably staying away from Matt Forte. I like LaShawn McCoy a little bit at 6,300. Thought he could do more against the Eagles last week than he actually did, but that seems like a nice price. And Lamar Miller going up against San Diego. Soft San Diego run defense, 6,300 is the price there. I think he showed us in the first half against the Giants what he's capable of. I like the idea of throwing him into one of those running back spots this week. Yeah, we talked about it a little bit. I always try to target the San Diego run defense. According to DraftKings, 28th worst, so that's pretty good. On top of that, Lamar Miller is capable. He's averaging 16.3 DraftKings points, and you know, 
maybe you know maybe a following that weird Monday scandal, if you want to call it a scandal, that they'll just run him into the ground this week just to prove that even if there was an ankle injury, he's passed it or whatever the situation was. Right, the overuse of Lamar Miller coming hopefully in Week 15 <laughs> as someone who has him in a pretty important season-long league. David Johnson against the Eagles, 5,700. Maybe we'll have a lineup with him in it, but Eddie Lacy's 5,200 against Oakland. Jeremy Hill, an even 5,000. This seems like a great spot for Jeremy Hill because I think the Bengals are going to want to take the pressure off of McCarron, at least for this week. It's his first NFL start. They're going to take advantage of that soft San Francisco run defense, and if they do that, Jeremy Hill should get plenty of volume, especially when you look at the recent trends. Gio Bernard, his workload is kind of slowly has eroded over the second half of the season. I don't know if that necessarily holds up down the stretch into the playoffs, but I think this is a game where volume could be there for both Cincinnati running backs. Yeah, so Gio has single-digit points over his last three weeks, whereas Jeremy Hill, um, let me pull it up real quick. Well, last last week they didn't. They both had a poor game against Pittsburgh, but in those other two ones you had almost 16 and 11 for Jeremy Hill. I'm almost going to – the way my lineup broke down is I actually needed that $500, and I'm just going to kind of hope and assume that maybe Jeremy Hill does go off, but Gio Bernard is still going to be maybe in a top 10 running back slot. Like we said, there's no reason for A.J. McCarron to pass it more than 15 times this game. So I, I will concede that Jeremy Hill could definitely see more touches, but that doesn't mean that Bernard won't go off and be one of the better options this week, especially at $4,500. Yeah, I think you could argue both being useful options options given the cost for week 15 sure Kendrick West gets the Ravens they've been pretty soft against the run in more recent weeks 4800 is a good price I just don't know how they're going to split the carries between West and Spencer Ware I think that's what's leading me to kind of stay away from the Kansas City backs even though I like the way that game flow could work for both backs what about Denard Robinson though 4600 should get volume Atlanta's been soft against the run uh, TJ Yeldon's doubtful side so I would be shocked if he played I mean Denard Robinson at 4,600, probably going to be highly owned, but could pay off. He's in my lineup. He's one of those guys, $4,600 last week against Indiana, um, which is, you know, I think Atlanta's run defense is probably worse, actually, than the Colts's, and Robinson was able to get 15.7 points. If he's seeing the the brunt of the carries with Yeldon out, then I think the, my only problem is I'm like I think that he's going to have a great day. He's going to get at least 10 to 15, if not more, DraftKings points. But I think that his usage rate is going to be so high where it's going to be you and 50% of everyone else in the competition to where it actually doesn't make sense to use him. And maybe I'm overthinking him. I don't know. I don't know if I've ever gotten your specific strategy on something on, on contrarian plays, DVR. What do you think about not using him, conceding that he's going to have a big game, but not actually using him because he can be overused. I think overuse matters more when the price is higher. I think we saw this earlier with Todd Gurley. When Todd Gurley's price was still in this mid-4,000, low-5,000 range, I think everybody expected ownership to be high every week, but the likely outcome was such that he was going to get you 20, 25 points, and, and for less than 5,000 in some cases, you want to go ahead and, and take advantage of that because by fading you're actually missing out on one of the best values of the week. Now, it may be with Robinson because the skills are not at a girly-type level. Mathematically speaking, the fade does make more sense. I think it depends on what you're going to use for alternatives, though, too. And there are some other backs that I, I like priced pretty much the same way. Latavius Murray is one of them. Denver really kept him quiet last week, and I know some people are, are, are worried about the lack of production in three of the last four. It didn't really run all that well against the Broncos, the Titans, or the Lions, but sandwiched in between there... 
20 carries, 86 yards, a TD, four catches, 19.7 fantasy points on DraftKings uh, against Kansas City in Week 13. I think Latavius Murray could have a pretty good day against the Packers on Sunday. Yeah, there's no doubt about that. He can certainly he's he's one of those guys that's I think overall he's generally in that 12 to 17 point range and that's a little tough in the million maker cuz you're trying to hit on everyone, but you're right. I I see no reason, especially 4500 $4,500 may push me over to the edge to the point where I'll utilize him maybe 50-50 with Denard Robinson, and especially because I'm a little timid to use Robinson because I think his, his percentage ownage, or his ownage rate is going to be so high this week. The Eagles have three running backs at 4200 or less. Sproles is 4200 and you got Murray and Ryan Matthews at 4000 Eagles are at home hosting Arizona. So it's not a weak run defense. We don't know how they're going to split up the carries. And yet I feel like if one of them goes off, they might be on the lineup, on the roster of the team that wins the million dollars this week because the potential payoff if one guy kind of gets a hot hand, breaks up a couple long runs, is huge given how low the prices are on that trio right now. I just don't know where to go with it. I, I my My heart says Murray. That's just logically where I want to keep going when I invest in the Eagles' backfield. But his role is so unpredictable right now that I look at that compared to even like Theo Riddick at 4,000. I feel like I can justify a big game from Theo Riddick more easily than I can justify one from DeMarco Murray. And I never thought that'd be the case. Yeah, I love Theo Riddick. So maybe I'm not a good person to ask. But um, when you have a situation like that, just just don't even deal with it. Just get rid of it. Like if, if you're harping too much on it, I mean, don't let it beat you up. If I mean, if you're having those feelings, it, they're genuine because there's not a good option. It's not like somebody, you know, Denard Robinson, where we can all kind of agree that he's going to be a good play this week. Um, if you're picking, I mean, with the Millie Maker, you have to have a completely different strategy. But I, I don't know why anybody would even bother with trying to pick one or the other. It doesn't make any sense to me. Moving further down, you kind of get the same problem we talked about just a few minutes ago, cost-wise, on Tim Hightower. He's 3900 He's home against the Lions. Probably not going to get the same workload that he had on Sunday, but at the same time, he ran well enough against Tampa Bay. He's going to get the goal line carries, most likely. I think there's reason to consider utilizing him again. It's just a matter of thinking, well, is this okay based on the number of other entries that are likely to use him? He's 3900 What do you expect from Tim Hightower? I think that you know he'll be a little optimistic if you're expecting the 16.5 that he put up last week. But again, here's where my strategy comes into play, and it's just fun to talk about different strategies. I usually punt running backs, and I know that sounds really dumb. Um, but for the Millie Maker, I'm just trying to finish in the money. I'm not necessarily trying to win because there's still lots of good money to be had. So I might actually run with the lineup for the majority, I know I said I'm using Geo and Denard, where I'd go Hightower and Riddick, and then I would just take the top four wide receivers and I would go with them. I think there's always way more upside with wide receivers than there is for any one running back. And so I want to make sure that I hit on the top two guys that week. Um, so I'll use him. I'm definitely going to use Hightower, but with that said, I'm I'm fully understanding that it might be 10 to 15 instead of the, the 15 to 20 that he was, the range he was at last week. Yeah, that that definitely makes sense. Now, Brandon Bolden's the last name I want to throw at you from the running back pool. I mean, 3,200, so he kind of fits into your punt strategy, but again, ownership probably going to be high. The Patriots, the biggest favorite on the board, I believe, in Week 15, so they're expected to put up about 30 points and have a, a two-touchdown lead late in this game, so volume should be there. 
you know, unless something weird happens like James White getting more carries or Monte Ball getting signed off the practice squad and getting carries. I mean, who knows? But Brandon Bolden at 3,200 seems even closer to the must-play threshold than you know guys like Hightower and, and some of the other cheaper running backs, even closer to that threshold than Denard is, just because I think volume Bolden versus Denard should be pretty similar in game flow could easily favor Bolden to get a lot of carries in the second half. Well, yeah, both White and Bolden could be you know, respectable guys. So just like I was throwing out Bernard and Hill, um, where they both could be options or viable options. Same thing with Bolden and White. I, <laughs> my cardinal rule is never mess around with Patriots running back. But the, the cool thing, if you want to call it cool, injuries are not cool. And I don't want it to sound like that. But like we're whittling down so far where Bilicic doesn't have an option. He can't play these games with us. It's going to be Bolden or White, really. And there's not anywhere else to go. So, oh, man, that – you know, the $3,200 for a running back who's actually going to see a decent amount of touches against a bad defense plays so much into that strategy I was just talking about. Yeah, if, if there were more clarity in Carolina, Fozzie Whitaker at 3000 could be worth thinking about there too. I just don't know how they're going to incorporate Cameron Artis Payne, how they're going to use Tolbert, how Cam might run it in close. That to me, I, I, I'm not going to be the guy that has Fozzie Whitaker. If he has a big day, I'm going to miss out, and that's, that's going to be okay with me just based on the uncertainty, especially in that Carolina offense. Moving on to the receivers, we talked about Beckham a little bit earlier. He's 9,200 going up against Carolina. Antonio Brown's 8,700. If there's ever a week for Julio to have another 35, 40-point game on DraftKings, you would think it'd be this week against Jacksonville. 8,500 is the price. Really hasn't come down all that much from where he was earlier this year. But that seems like a matchup he should be able to go off in. You would think so. But then again, Falcons have far underwhelmed us this year and so I, I was thinking about it I, I've honestly used uh, Jones in 90% of all my Millie Maker lineups this year because I've, I've just tried to hold true to that strategy I have I actually I have him in there with Green Johnson and Randall Cobb this week um, I'm probably going to go back and switch him out and do the Bolden thing and maybe pay up for Beckham this time around but I mean yeah so you think that Jones might be the biggest breakout wide receiver this week is that is that what you're getting at? I just think if you, there's a week to keep paying up for him, even though the production hasn't been quite what you wanted. I mean, you go back the last few games, 15.8 fantasy points against Carolina last week, 17.3 against the Bucks, 10.6 against the Vikings over his last three. Nothing close to what you expected. He was 9,400 back in Week 12 against the Vikings, by the way. So you are getting a slight discount. You're getting almost a thousand bucks off the price from even three weeks ago. That Jacksonville-Atlanta game should be a shootout, but then kind of tugging at me from the other side is just how bad, how poorly Matt Ryan has been playing over the last five or six weeks now. I know, and that's my only hesitation. Like, I can't believe I even have a hesitation about using Julio Jones. Um, But when I think about it, I really do think that Bortles and Matt Ryan are just going to have an all-time game where the score is like 30-something to 30-something, and they're just passing this thing all around the place. And I'm going to use him, and maybe more so than anything, you brought up a great point, is that he's $1,000 cheaper than he used to be when I was using him in and locking him, in, locking him in every single week. So um, I'm definitely using him. But then again, my, my strategy caters to using the top wide receivers no matter what. Other top receiver prices, you got Hopkins going up against the Colts, 8500 That could be worth thinking about, although he should see good amount of Vontae Davis, if I'm not mistaken. Plus, it's T.J. Yates. It's not Brian Hoyer, so you're dealing with a backup quarterback there. 
Backup quarterback in Cincinnati, of course. We mentioned A.J. McCarron before. A.J. Green, 7,900 against San Francisco. Could be a very run-heavy game plan, so I'm not as high on Green this week as I would be if Andy Dalton were out there at that price point. Uh, Allen Robinson, 7,600 on the other side of the the Julio matchup. I mean, that could be fine. I'm not worried about the one catch last week. That seems pretty fluky to me from Allen Robinson. But if you move further down, Larry Fitzgerald against the Eagles. I mean, he, I think he scored in every game in his career. He's played against the Eagles. We'll see if that actually holds up. He's 7,300. Elshon Jeffrey at 7,300 is really interesting. I think he should cost more like 8,000, so I like saving money there. The name that really stands out, Demarius Thomas is only 6,800 going up against the Steelers. The Steelers' defense is pretty good. But Demarius Thomas, even last week in a game in which Brock Osweiler struggled quite a bit, caught 10 balls for 95 yards. He had 18.5 fantasy points on DraftKings, 18.1 against the Chargers the week before that. Quiet against New England, blizzard-like conditions, though, in that matchup, and 14.9 and uh, with 30, there are three catches, 59 yards, and a TD against the Bears in Week 11. I mean, the fact that Demarius Thomas is down at 6,800 just seems like a great buying opportunity even though Brock Osweiler looks like kind of a fringy NFL starter right now. Right. Thomas started out the year at $9,100, and now he's down to $6,800. Maybe a safety valve is a good way to look at it for Osweiler. Maybe he'll throw it up there, which I've kind of seen him do already, where he just tosses it up, hopes for a prayer. And, yeah, he he certainly is going to do things. And the Pittsburgh defense is good, but they're certainly prone to shootouts, like we saw that with Seattle. How was that a couple weekends ago? And I Russell Wilson's really good, but I don't really regard him as being a shootout quarterback, and he did that all over Pittsburgh's defense in that Sunday night game. And so, um, yeah, great value play, especially if you're left with $6,800 in your flex spot, which is usually about the appropriate amount that I'm usually left over with with my flex. I'm curious to see if Amari Cooper can bounce back. He was shut out by Tlaib last week, uh, had 21.5 fantasy points in Week 12 against the Titans, 10.2 against the Chiefs in Week 13. He's just 6,000. I think that's a nice matchup potentially against the Packers. Got to check the status of uh, Sam Shields to see if, if Shields is out in that one. That would leave the Packers a little bit thinner at corner if that's the case. Danny Amendola, 5,700. You kind of know what you're going to get there in terms of a, a good target volume, pretty steady floor, maybe not the crazy high ceiling. Uh, things start to get interesting around 5,500. That's where you have Jeremy Macklin, who seems like has been underpriced pretty much all season long now. I mean, you look at what Jeremy Macklin has accomplished his first season with Kansas City, hasn't really really regressed in project in, in production at all with Chiefs. I mean, he hasn't missed a step whatsoever. I know he's played in the offense before, so being reunited with Andy Reid probably made that transition easier. But his last four, or last three in particular, 12.6 fantasy points in Week 14 against the Chargers. Low-scoring game, weird low-scoring game in that one, by the way. 29.5 against the Raiders in Week 13, and a 34-point game against the Bills in Week 12. 5,500 for a matchup against a Ravens secondary that's been pretty soft. Looks like a nice spot for Jeremy Macklin. I totally agree. And out of the 13 games he's played this year, only four times has he had single-digit DraftKings points. So if you're talking about reliability, that's not something you usually get with a guy who's $5,500. And so um, if you can get reliability down that low, you got to grab it. And Man, I'm starting to rethink my my punt running back strategy when we've got good options with Thomas and and Macklin. And we didn't even mention, and I think a lot of people are curious about this, Doug Baldwin at, uh, let's see, he's at $5,800. I mean, he's the hottest wide receiver out there right now, right? Yeah, he's on fire right now. 
The thing I worry about with Baldwin this week is that the Seahawks get a big lead early and just stop throwing. I mean, it could be a really heavy dose of Bryce Brown and Fred Jackson and, and just the, the running backs there. Kristen Michael could even get some touches. So Baldwin's not, but the price hasn't gone up enough to the point where he's cost prohibitive. He's the guy that you have to look at at the receiver position and say, well, is he a fade because ownership could be really high and the price is still really low? I think I would lean more towards fading Baldwin, uh, but the run he's been on the last few weeks has been incredible. Martavis Bryant is still 5,500. I, I, can't, I can't wrap my head around that. I feel like he should be at least 7,000 based on what he's been able to do. I mean, he's averaging 19.8 fantasy points per game on DraftKings. That would put him, if, if you priced him by other receivers who are doing that, he should be priced pretty much the same as like Allen Robinson and Larry Fitzgerald. He should be in the high 7,000 range. Yeah, you're right. And his value actually went down from last week at $5,700. And you know that's why. Like, It obviously should be higher, but at least we know why it's gone down. It's because he's play- facing Denver. Yeah, it's the matchup. It's not for anything that Martavis exactly. Bryan has done, but I'd, I'd go against the grain on that one. I'd, I'd go after Bryan if you want to find another cheaper receiver that has the potential to still go off. What do you think the percentages of lineups that have Denard Robinson and, sorry to go back, but Doug Baldwin? I think that a lot of people are going to be rolling with those people. Like, I will say 10 to 20% that will have both of those both? players. Yeah, yeah. Probably, probably 10, like 10%, because they're both going to be up over 25 30% ownership, I would, I would say. And, I mean, cash games especially. Tournaments might be a little lower in combination because of the number of, of different options out there. And, and there are... There are players at every position that I think are just genuinely underpriced. So that's going to steer people from going overboard with some of the the kind of pop-up guys that because of injuries are are more valuable all of a sudden. Uh, But looking further down this list of receivers, I mean, John Brown at 4,900, probably going to be somewhat low-owned because the production has started to tail off a little bit there. Not necessarily going to go that route. Ted Ginn still 4,600, so the DraftKings price master still not really buying into Ted Ginn, but if you want to have a cheap combo, Ginn and Cam Newton, I mean, it, you're going to pay a lot more for Cam than most quarterbacks, but you're going to pay a lot less for Ginn than most number one receivers. Yeah, most definitely. 29 and a half, 25 points. Um, Dallas didn't do anything, but then he had 16 points against Washington. $4,600. It's it's hard to deny. If you, if you get a guy $4,600 and he gets you almost 30 DraftKings points, you're going to be in a good spot no matter whoever else you picked. And so coupling those two guys together makes a lot of sense since one's a little higher price, one's lower price, like you said. Good tournament plays for me would be Deshaun Jackson at 4500 against Buffalo. I like Michael Floyd more than John Brown. He's 4400 against the Eagles. Seems like a really nice price on him how about tyler lockett at 4200 if you want to get a share of the seattle passing game and you want to fade doug baldwin lockett at 4200 is really interesting yep he's only averaging 10.8 points for DraftKings. as my computer is slow sorry i don't have anything else but i like all guys against cleveland i mean really yeah, I, I, anybody I, against I go cleveland. for it exactly so um so you're not at the same you're not at the same place where they might get up. So with Baldwin, you said they could get up so quickly that maybe they would just start running the ball. That do you still have that same exact fear with Tyler Lockett? Sure, I mean it, it's it's just part of the the concern that with Lockett, you pay forty two hundred for Lockett instead of fifty eight hundred for Baldwin. If Lockett's the guy who scores and Baldwin doesn't, and then it's running backs or tight ends or other guys. You're not going to be hurting quite as badly going 4,200 on Lockett on a day where he catches four balls for 70 yards and a TD. Whereas if Baldwin does that at 5,800, you're not getting the same production per dollar, right? You're saving a little money if Lockett's that guy. So 
I, I just think he's so explosive. He has the ability to do a lot with very few targets. I think that's what makes him so appealing, especially in tournaments. How about Stephon Diggs? Everybody's kind of forgotten about him in recent weeks because the production has tapered off quite a bit. Hasn't scored double-digit fantasy points in a game since Week 11 against the Packers. He's faced the Falcons, the Seahawks, and the Cardinals in the last three games. But back home against the Bears, a softer secondary than what he's seen in really each of the last two games in particular, what do you think about Stefan Diggs as a contrarian sort of tournament play this week? Great contrarian play. And then if you're a little timid about actually using him because of his price or his production recently, well, let's look at the last game when they played the Bears. 21 and a half DraftKings points. That's good enough for me. I mean, when I'm looking at things, the most important stat for me, in all honesty, is if they already played a team, how did that work out? And for Diggs, it worked out incredibly well. Add the $4,000 price to it, it being a contrarian play. And he, in all honesty, is one of the better plays of the week, in my opinion. Let's swing it over to the tight end spot. Gronk, 7700 You could build there if you get the money that you saved from going with the cheaper running backs or cheaper receivers, potentially. Olsen, 6900 against the Giants. Jordan Reed, 5900 against Buffalo. Delaney Walker, 5600 against the Patriots. Eifert's not going to play, so you can skip him. Gary Barnage at 5000 Seems like an okay play against Seattle because if they have a weakness, it is covering tight ends and third receivers. Those, those are the two things that have been able to go off against them so far this year. I think you get really low ownership on Barnage this week. And even if the Browns throw for 160 yards as a team, half of that probably goes to Barnage. You know, you think about where, where else can it really go? It's, it's like Travis Benjamin, Gary Barnage, and the running backs. That's it. No, you're completely right. And get this, 10 of his last 11 games for Barnage, he's gotten double-digit DraftKings points. And so that's as reliable as they come, um, and that's been with multiple quarterback changes. Maybe he's a safety valve, like I said earlier, um, for Johnny Manziel. When that rush is coming, just dump it off real quick to Barnage, who's doing a quick um, post route, or not a post route, but a curl or something like that. Like a five-yard curl could be Johnny Manziel's best friend. Looking for some cheaper tight end options. I mean, Travis Kelsey at 4400 I like the price discount there. Chiefs against the Ravens. What happened to Kelsey this year? I mean, he was a top, top guy, and he just slowly but surely faded off as the season went along. He really only week one was his only time he ever lived up to the hype. Well, I wonder if just having Macklin there as a target-hawking number one receiver has really taken away some of the appeal with Kelsey. But it seems a little bit fluky to me that he hasn't been able to score a bit more. I think he said some called back. Uh, by penalties and just a few things like that. If, if he has seven TDs instead of four, his season looks a lot different just in terms of his weekly scoring average. Uh, so I think nothing's really changed significantly with, with Kelsey. The extreme volume potential he had last season is maybe gone somewhat, but he doesn't need that to be that good. I think what he needs and what Jeremy Macklin would need for either of those guys to be really good this week is for Baltimore to be adequate offensively against that Chiefs defense. I think that's where having a big stake in the Chiefs offense outside of the running game, especially gets really risky because that Baltimore offense might be really bad this week. Yep, and you just run the ball with Charkendrick Ress and, and Ware. So um, I, I don't know. I've been incredibly disappointed because I felt like I, I stole Kelsey in a lot of leagues this year, and it meant absolutely nothing. Like I got him in the fifth and sixth round in some leagues, and I was like, I'm, I'm winning this league because of Kelsey, and that just I've never been more wrong. Yeah, it didn't really, really pan out that way, unfortunately. I had him in a couple places too, and it wasn't those weren't my better season-long teams, to, uh, to put it mildly cheapest tight end I think I could justify in a GPP and this is again this is with the goal of 
really just navigating away from the pack, saving some money and, and spending up everywhere else. Clive Walford, 2,600 against the Packers, home for Oakland. His role over the last few weeks has been kind of quietly growing. You're not getting huge games from him most week, but if, if he can go 5 for 53 in a TD, I mean, that's 10 points for 2,600. That's a nice return. Just Sorry, I need five seconds to Wikipedia Clive Walford. Just kidding. I, I mean, if you want to roll with Clive Walford, go for it. Again, $2,600. If you're going to punt anything, tight end is always a good place to punt. Um, but you're right. At $2,600, if he gets you know just a few yards and a TD, he's golden. And the Packers can certainly allow that. In all honesty, I think Eric Ebron, $3,000. Like I said, I'm using Stafford in a, lot of, in a lot of my lineups. And so he's someone who could sneak in there for a couple touchdowns. Again, New Orleans is the worst at giving up passing yardage. And so I like that a lot um, if, you know, in my lineups that aren't going to have Gronk or Olsen. The amazing thing would be if you somehow like stacked Stafford and Ebron and like Megatron and Tate were okay but not great. So everybody who went after them doesn't get rewarded. You get a two TD game somehow to Ebron. Stafford goes for like three or four TDs overall, a bunch of yards. And then you've got all that extra money to spend elsewhere. I mean, it's definitely a viable tournament strategy. Um, I'm never opposed to just paying up for Gronk. I mean, 7700 is nice if you can do it. And with the pricing of some of those lower-end running backs in more prominent roles, I think it's more doable this week even than it is most weeks. Let's look at the defense and special teams here quickly. I mean, Seattle at 4200 most expensive on the board. Paying up there certainly makes sense. But if you don't pay up for Seattle, what's your sleeper defense for this week? <laughs> All right, so if you haven't been able to tell, like I, in order to get the four top wide receivers, I have to punt in a lot of places. And let me, I'm, we're deep into the season. Like I'm not losing money on this strategy. It's working out for me because if you have three out of the top four wide receivers hit, you're already like close to the money as it is. So I'm looking at the Colts going up against Houston. You're only spending two thousand dollars. And Derek, please prove me wrong. Please tell me why I shouldn't be using that. Um, you using Indiana's defense and believe you me I know that they're going to be bad but I'm kind of riding on the fact or the, or the hope I should say rather that TJ Yates you know throws a few interceptions maybe one of them goes for, back for a pick and then boom you got your $2,000 back right away so I'm putting a lot of faith in the fact that TJ Yates is not an NFL quarterback well you look at what they've done the last few games nine fantasy points against the Jags uh, donut against the Steelers but nobody would have expected them to keep the Steelers quiet 11 fantasy points against the Bucks in Week 12 and 15 against the Falcons in Week 11. So as far as bottom-rung defenses go, I think that's about as much as you can ask for, at least the chance at cracking 10 points from that $2,000 price point. I think if I'm not going to spend the premium to get the Seahawks, I might spend 500 less and go with the Chiefs, maybe go the Patriots against Marcus Mariota and the Titans as well. They're also 3700 But this, to me, looks more like a week where I'm going to pay up for a defense as opposed to going extremely cheap. Again, it depends on how the rest of the pieces fit, but I think that's more likely the way I'm going to go when it's all said and done here for Week 15. No, fair enough. Like I'll be the first to admit that running out the Colts defense or the defenses that I have been running out this year just seems stupid, and in a couple weeks it has been really dumb for me. Um, but I'm trying to stick with one strategy and just follow it through because if you jump around strategy to strategy each week, unless you're hitting each week, you could be falling out. You know, you need to just stay true to one strategy throughout the year. At least that's what I'm doing, and it's, and it's working okay for me. Oh, at least at least have a, a clear. I don't know, process, I guess you'd say, for what you're doing and, and yeah, adhere to that or slightly modify it and at least be consistent from week to week 
most of the time. That way you're not just, like you said, jumping all over the place. That could be pretty risky. DJ, thanks for filling in for Mario. Hopefully we'll get a chance to chat with you here again in the near future on the Rotowire Fantasy Football Podcast. Thanks for listening to the Rotowire Fantasy Football Podcast brought to you by DraftKings.com, the leader in daily fantasy sports. Use the promo code Rotowire when you make your deposit for a free contest entry today. Also check out Rotowire free for the next 10 days by going to rotowire.com slash pod. Nick and I will be back with you on Monday. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.